0: The following audio is a sermon preached by one of our pastors at Restoration Church in St. Mary's, Georgia. We pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to you deeply with this message. Welcome. This morning we're going to preach or hear a lot about uh, from the Book of Romans. But before I do, I just wanted to talk to you about the Book of Romans and who its author was. Uh, The author was uh, Paul, who his name used to be Saul before he uh, met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And... um, Paul was a very passionate man. That's probably why uh, God chose him, to, to be the apostle that he was, because he was a mighty, strong man, and everything he did, he was passionate about. He's just one of those kind of people was just, you know, always on the run and flying around. And um, Paul wrote the book of Romans while he was in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was actually the, he wrote those letters first. And then Romans came after. How many people know that the book is uh, of the Bible is not all chronological? It's 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 not. So, and a lot of the other books that Paul writes to us is about correction, where the church is going wrong, and and you know what's going on. But in, in Romans, is a little bit different. But let me uh, tell you why uh, before we get into Romans, why Paul was the way he was. Paul was a, a Pharisee that thought he was doing God's work by capturing Christians, putting them in prison, and uh, even in you know standing by the way, they got killed and stoned. Um, You know, the the Word of God says that there's some people that will do that, and there's even people that do it today. But uh, in my usual fashion, I have a lot of Scripture, but some of the Scripture that I'm going to go into is not going to be up on the wall. So if you're a note taker, just get ready to take a couple of notes. You can come back to it. But in Acts 9, 3 through 9, is originally where Paul met Jesus Christ. Now, most people, the gospel is shared to them by a Christian. But Paul had this great opportunity to get the gospel of Jesus Christ shared to him by Jesus Christ himself, which is uh, pretty cool. And, you know, I hear of uh, things happening like this today in other countries, but Saul had this really good experience, and it changed his life forever and actually changed his, his name from Saul to Paul, and this is what it says. He was on his way to Damascus. He was going there to, to capture and persecute Christians. He was given the order to do that, and he felt good about that, and he was going. So this is what it says, Acts 9, 3 through 9. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And uh, after this, he was, he was dealt with with uh, someone that was of the Christian church named Ananias. And the Christian, Christianity was explained to him what was going on there. And he became a great witness for Jesus Christ after that. So, you know, that's a pretty... I know when somebody shared the gospel with me and, and the day that I actually understood it and grasped it, uh, I didn't have the same experience that Paul did. You know, that's pretty, pretty cool to have all that going on, lights shining, and it was Jesus Christ. And later on in, in, in some scripture in, in Romans seven twenty four, this is what... When you meet Jesus Christ face to face and you realize who he is and what he is, and he's God and and the whole glory of God come down. This is what, this is what you realize you are. In Romans seven twenty four and 25, later on, Paul says this. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The main thing is there is that when you meet Jesus Christ, when you, you understand who God is, you, you feel as though you are a wretched person that you have no value because God is so awesome. Just like with that song there, when you realize that God is God, is God. God is big. And, and it's different than just saying, I'm going to just put Jesus into my life and I'm just going to continue what I'm doing. Like with some of the, you know, the Christianity that we hear preached today. In 1 Timothy 1.15, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to read it to you. This is a, a, one other thing he says about uh, the difference between being saved and not. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. So that's what uh, Paul thinks of himself outside of the the uh, salvation and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. And we all come to that. When we get saved, we have the same experience. It's called being born again. We were coming we came to the same place that Paul did when we got saved because in John three three through five Jesus tells people what they have to do to enter the kingdom of God, and it's the same thing. It's called being born again. Jesus was talking to a guy named Nicodemus, and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus didn't really understand what he was talking about. How do I get born again? Go back into my, you know, what? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Paul had this awesome experience with lights and he went blind and people around him couldn't hear. But that's not the exact same thing that most of us have gone through when we heard about the the gospel and we got saved. But it all comes down to the same thing. We are born again. So now let's move into Romans. Romans, like I said, is, is a doctrine of Christianity. All the other books that Paul wrote again where, where they had problems and he was trying to correct them before he got there and tell them what they were doing. Romans, you could camp out in Romans for a year. If you just read Romans, it just tells you everything you need to know about Christ and who he was and why he came and uh, what he's doing. Um, it talks about, it's, it, it mentions the creation of God. It mentions man's fall and sin. It, it mentions how... Men try to work their way back up to God, which is impossible. It talks about a Savior that's going to become. The Savior does come, and that's Jesus Christ, named and crucified, and that's what the whole book of Romans is about. And Paul, when he reads Romans, you know, sometimes we think about what well, do you know, we read? We read the Bible, and we just read it. Well, judge not, and you not be judged. You know, things like that. We just kind of get in a monotone. Paul was that passionate guy. When he was reading Romans to the to the or when he wrote it to the church, he was kind of like pleading with them the whole way through it, like guys, this is, this is what you need to listen to because God is big. I've met him, and I'm on fire, and kill me if you want to. I'm going to preach the gospel. So that's what he does. That's what Romans is all about. And let me give you just a couple of nuggets that are in Romans to kind of get you how it progresses. And, of course, that's not going to be up to you either. But Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God, and of course he talks about the wrath of God. God's wrath still needs to be poured out. It will be poured out in this world and all sinners, except for Christians. We are saved from the wrath of God. in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Which is saying that you can go outside and you can look at the clouds and the sun and the sky and the moon and sunsets and eclipses and you can see that there's a creator. And nobody's without excuse. Nobody's without excuse. We can see that. Romans three twenty three to 24 he says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So these are just highlights of Romans, which I've come up with. It's just some of my favorite verses. You know, there's, those are so, Romans is so rich that we could, we could spend all day here. Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.9 and 10 Because if you confess with your mouth and Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, I just want to give you those are some nuggets that are really powerful from Romans that kind of leads into this. Leads into this. So, um, if you would turn to Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six, I'll slow down now. I just want to get to the point that it's passion here. Paul is a passionate guy. Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six. What he's about to say is this. Because of all this stuff from Romans 1 through all the way through, I've been through Romans 11.32, God did this. God created the world. Man sinned. Man's been trying to get his baby back to God. A Savior came. He's Jesus Christ. He was crucified, and by His blood we were saved. That's what he's saying. So what he says in Romans 11.33 is this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of God, of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. That's a really big statement there. It really is. It's a big statement. So let's, uh, let's kind of dissect it a little bit. Verse 34. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Can you search? Can you understand? What does the Bible say about trying to figure out God? Proverbs 3. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Just, God is big, and we just don't understand everything he says, and he does that purposely, so we'll keep digging for him. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.14 says this, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven, and the heaven of heavens, the earth, with all that is in it. He has no limits. He has no limit. He hasn't no, the depth, there is no limits. The top, there's just no limits to God. There's just there is none. John one, one through three, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He made He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He made everything. He's just so big. And that's what he's talking about there. The depths and the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God are just totally unsearchable for us. He gives us some knowledge and wisdom of his, but we just cannot get there. Uh, Psalm 147, 4 and 5, I've said this one before. He determines a number of the stars. He gives to them names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He is beyond measure. He names all the stars. You know how many stars are out there? Every time Hubble telescope, they, I just w- was reading a thing this week where they uh, aimed it at a black spot that there was nothing that they could see so far, just a black spot out there in space. And they took a, a picture, of several pictures, and when they developed a picture, there was uh, millions of galaxies out there. In this. It's, just, it's just endless. There is no end. It's unmeasurable who God is. He created this, and he's inside and he's outside of it. And then Luke 12, 7 says, okay, he, he's inside the universe, he's outside the universe. There is no end to it. How can we imagine that? But at the same time, Luke 12, 7 says, why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. All right, he knows how many hair you have in your head. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has been God's counselor? Anybody know? Nobody. Nobody's been his counselor. And that came from the, the book of Isaiah. It, uh, in, this, in this 33 through 36, he quotes Isaiah and he quotes Job. He goes back to those two guys, Paul does. Why does he do that? Because he respects them and how God inspired them and the people that they were. The original verse in Isaiah 40, 13. By the way, Isaiah uh, in, in means uh, God is salvation. Yahweh is salvation, which was kind of interesting <clears throat> we sang that song. But Isaiah 40.13, what he got this from, it says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Nobody. Nobody does that. He's just saying how big God is. Uh, who was Isaiah and why did Paul quote him? Isaiah was a prophet that lived 700 years before Christ was born. And uh, God anointed him to be a prophet to the Israelites and tell them that you know, he came to them when they were there in a time of prosperity but they were kind of like maybe we were years ago. We were just so prosperous, everybody just puts God behind themselves and they don't think about Him anymore. So the Israelites weren't really paying attention to God. Judgment was coming to them. Uh, he made the prophet Isaiah go out to the, the people and tell them that they needed to get back to God, otherwise this judgment was going to come, and they, they didn't really want to hear it. As a matter of fact, they tried to kill Him several times. So let's look at Isaiah and uh, see a little bit more about him. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5 is where Isaiah meets the Lord. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with a smoke. And I said, after Isaiah saw this vision, he saw the glory of God. He saw a picture of heaven which resembles what is in Revelation 4. When he saw this, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was humbled when he met the Lord, just like we should be humbled when we got saved. Just like Paul was humbled when he was on the road to Damascus. You, they, 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 they follow this pattern where they, woe is me, I just want to curl up on a ball and die. I've seen God. I'm not, I shouldn't even be allowed to breathe. That's what they say. So, God cleaned up Isaiah. If you continue reading in there, he, he, he uh, puts some uh, coals on his lips and he uh, clears them out. And he does his work. Isaiah does his work as God, as God ordained him to do. Go back to uh, verse 35 says, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has given a gift to God that he should be repaid for that gift? Anybody? No, there's nobody. And that came from the book of Job. All right, Job was another person that had a, a similar experience to that. It came from Job 41.11, which says, Who has first given to me, and this is God speaking, that I should repay him, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. But God's saying, I own everything. How can deny anybody repay a gift that I give back to him? He can't, he can't do that. So let's look at Job. Who's Job? Who is he? Uh, like I was mentioning before, the, the Bible's not chronological. Job, the book of Job actually... The experts think was written right around the end of Genesis 11, right around the Tower of Babel time. That's how old the book of Job is. And uh, Job was a man that uh, it says in the Bible that he was uh, blameless and upright, but it doesn't mean he was sinless. And Job uh, had a lot going good for him. He had a, a lot of property, a lot of family, a lot of stuff. He owned a lot of livestock. He was doing real well. And uh, there was a conversation in heaven. Someday you might want to read Job. You know, Job is a book that's evolved for me from, as a new Christian, I did not like the book of Job. I just wanted to tear it out and throw it away because it didn't match up with my, my theology. <laughs> but uh, over time, Job is an awesome book. It really is. There's just so much stuff in Job. It's just crazy awesome. But anyway, uh, Satan has a conversation with God. In the meantime, anyway, Satan allows certain things to happen to Job. So Job's sitting there one day and everything gets taken away from him. His family gets killed except for his wife. Uh, his, everything gets blown away like a tornado comes through and all his life, everything's gone. So Job sits there with his friends and Job's justifying himself saying, you know what, this should never have happened to me. I don't deserve this. I've been a good guy. I really haven't been doing anything wrong. Why has God done this to me? And he's complaining and talking for I don't know how long. You know, Kevin, days, hours a long time. Yeah, Job's just like, you know, and that's how you hear a lot of Christians say, you know, I don't deserve this. Well, in all reality, honestly, we res- we deserve to die. That's what we deserve from God. That's all we deserve from Him. Unless we're, you know, we're, but we're saved in His righteousness and we, we get blessings from Him. But honestly, all of us deserve death for what we've done, for what we are sinned. So Job just goes on and on and on and talking about his problems, how he doesn't deserve this. And then finally, God comes up and he says this to him. And it's not up on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. It's in Job 38, 1 through 18. And the Lord says this. The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind, which is is pretty cool, isn't it? Listen to the Lord talk out of a whirlwind. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by my words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding... Who determined its measurements, surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who has laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth through the womb of the earth? When I made the clouds, its garments, in thick darsensick swatting band. Thus far you have come, and no further. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered into the spring of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. So when Job answered God and and explained this to him, uh, Job kind of had the same reaction that, that Isaiah did. And uh, Paul did. He, God revealed himself to him. And this is what Job said. Job said in verse 42, 1 through 6. Job 42, I should be up there. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job, like those other two guys, saw who God was. He wanted any repented, and that's what we need to do. When we come face to face with God, we need to realize that God values us, obviously, but in reality, we should repent in dust and ashes. So Job uh, went on and he, and he also became a visionary for God and he, he, did, he, he got back with God. He uh, repented. God restored him for everything he had and, and that was the teaching there that Job did. And verse 36, getting back to uh, Romans 11, 33-36. So after all this, Paul says, For him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is God's. Everything is God's. And that's kind of like when Revelation 1.8. God says, I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Lord God Almighty. He's that big. That's what he's talking about there. So Paul is really excited about this. He's got a lot more passion than I do, obviously. I'm kind of a quiet guy. But that's what he's talking about there. He's just so excited about the whole plan of God and the plan of salvation that he just shouts this out. He's really excited. And it all comes down to this, too. In in one case, Paul doesn't need for you to know everything about the plan of God when you're talking to people. It mainly comes down to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And it says, I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's really it. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is everything you need to know out of Romans. But he is so excited about this, he just... Is excited, and he, and he just goes nuts with the Romans 12. So Paul goes on with this passion. He says, because of all this, because of what I've just explained to you in Romans, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Have you guys ever heard that scripture before? Yeah, you've heard it here a lot. You've heard it here a lot. And what Paul is saying is because of all that God has done, because of all that Christ has done, because of God's great plan, you need to do this. You need to present your body as a living sacrifice. Let's break that down. Go back a little bit to 12.1. It says, I appeal to you therefore. That's what he's talking about. Therefore, because of all this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do you do? you How can you be holy on your own? You can't. You can't. Only in Christ and His righteousness. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that are related to your body and how you should be presented to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. John 17, 14, we'll all come back to that later, but that's what God's talking about. He's talking about presenting your body, the whole thing, as a living sacrifice to God, and everything that you do should be presented to Him as a sacrifice to God. Uh, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word, and that the word has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. He's talking about conforming. When you, uh, the things, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you should see things in this world that just don't make you feel comfortable. Do you, do you do that? Not be conformed to this world? Things just don't seem right. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are, we are ambassadors of God. We're ambassadors of Christ. Do ambassadors have embassies in their own country? Do they? No. Nah. They're in foreign countries. They're in foreign places. We don't have a U.S. embassy here. Maybe we do, but we shouldn't. But we have them in other countries, and they're foreign lands. We are now foreigners in this world, and things just are not right. What do we do about that? We don't conform to it. We don't conform to it. Uh, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If You can remember... 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter that talks about love. And it says, without love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. So do not be conformed to this world. When we go out into the world, and I'm not trying to get legalistic here, but it's going to sound like it. Um, For instance, TV. Okay, I'm sitting here watching TV, and... Almost naked women come on there in a Victoria's Secret commercial. So I got to stick a pillow in my head or look out the window. Or wh- why? Why? Why does that does that not see, seem like a problem to you when that comes on? What good is that? What good is it going to do me? Um, I'm watching TV and naked women almost naked women come up across the screen. What is? What good is that? I'm conforming to that when I accept it and sit back and don't do anything about it. Um, just like the other night, we were watching Doug Dynasty* Christmas special. And how many times did the commercial come on for some chick rodeo girls that were stripped down in their bikinis You know, during the commercials? You know, What do you do? Why do we even subject ourselves to that? Like I said, I don't want to get legalist here, but it just doesn't sound right. Um, and even happens in churches. Um, I can remember being there's a church I used to go to, and he had this big, huge Sunday school class, and... Um, Thirty people were more in it—thirty-five, 35, 40, hundred—I don't remember. It was packed, you know, packed full of people. And there was this one couple that always come in late. And uh, and she was a lot younger, wife than he was. And they and you know what? I'm just be honest with it. They'd go strutting across the front, and she was dressed kind of, you know what I mean? And you'd see, you could tell where people were at in their walk with God because some of the guys were going like, (laughs) other guys were going. And some people are looking up, you know, like this. And all the wives are looking at their husbands, you know. And it's like, but that's what I'm talking about. You even see it in the church. You see it in the church. You see And I'm not saying you have to wear a thing up to your neck and put your hair in a whatever thing you know, I'm not talking about. I'm just saying it's out there. It should, it should prick you that it's just not right to be conformed to this world. I went to a... a One of my sons got some free tickets to a Jaguars preseason game this year. I hadn't been to a football game in a long time. And so we went. And the whole time we were down there, we saw a little bit of football, but the whole time I was down there, was mainly a promotion of beer and sex. You know, a lot of that. And honestly, I can say that, you know, I used to be a rabid football fan for some of the teams I used to, I'd, I'd just go nuts and scream. But once you get saved, you really, you really, I'm just talking about me. I don't know how it is for you, but don't, don't you just kind of lose the passion for being a fan of worldly things like that? I did. I'm not saying there's a couple of teams that I like, but I'm just saying, I just don't go nuts. And Because that's being conformed to the world. We should not be conformed to the world. We're supposed to separate ourselves. That does not mean we don't go into the world. Jesus tells us to go into the world To spread the gospel. We go to these places. We go in. We just don't conform to it. We just don't live that way. So like I said, I don't want to get legalistic about it, but that's what I mean. And then in uh, verse 2, it talks about discernment. Discern what is the will of God. How can you do that? How can you do that? Well, we've been preaching here for months about pretty much a lot of getting into the Word and getting your prayer life in in order. And uh, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, divides the soul and the spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and is a a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what the Word of God is. That's what we're talking about. It discerns things. If you're in the Word of God every day, and you're reading it, you're going to discern what's going on out there in the world. And it's also going to lead you to God, and it's going to lead you into your prayer life. Okay? So we've been talking about those two things, getting in the Word of God and your prayer life. So in light of all this, what do we do? Where are we? Why are we here today? Why'd you come? Why'd you come today? It was raining out. Jerry, Jerry was telling me that a lot of, there's certain people that just don't come to church when it rains, right? You guys came, you've been pretty good. So what's going on? What do we do? Well, let me tell you what God says in God's Word about some of the reasons why we're here and why we were even created Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are prepared for good works. But the main good work that God wants us to do is His commission. When He commissioned us is to preach the gospel to every creature. That's the main good work. In John 6.28 or 6.29, it says, you know, Jesus had just told them who he was. It was almost like he's preaching the gospel, and they are like, what do we do? What work can we do? What do we need to do? We need to work. And Jesus said, the work of God is believing in him and whom he sent, which was him. That's the main work we have to do, is believe in God and, and preach God to other people. Tell them who he is. That's the main work. That's, the commission is Matthew 28. 18 through 20, if you're not sure, he commands us to do that, or Mark 16, 15. So sharing the gospel is the main thing. A couple of weeks ago, Jordan, in his message, talked about what good is it if we just go out and share a hot dog and a bag of chips. I mean, it does some good, but really, what good is that if we don't continue on and share the gospel with people like we do? Um, I mean, it does say in God's word to feed the poor, right? It says to do that. It also says take care of widows and orphans. It also says love you, God, your Lord, with all your heart, soul, and mind. It says a lot of things to do. Why well, just pick out the one thing and, and, and sit on that? Okay. So the main thing he wants us to do is share the word, in which, we, which we do. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So... Pastors, shepherds, teachers, apostles, prophets are supposed to equip you for the work of the ministry. Equip you by doing what we do. We give you a message. We have classes. We do different things. But it doesn't say that the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are there to make you do these things. We equip you to do these things. We can only go so far. If you remember a few uh, weeks ago, Pastor Greg did a message about the seed out of Mark, Mark four, talked about the seed, which is the word of God, and how it's poured out, and how sometimes it gets on. Uh, the seed can go in four different places, not proportionately though, but uh, it goes by the wayside. Satan takes it away immediately. Uh, it goes on stony ground where it gets no root. Sun comes out, burns it up. Thorny ground, the world takes it away. People, people are conforming to the world. They got the word of God, they may be acting saved or Christian for a while. They may still be, but they go back into the world and they get conformed. So all those those three areas of the seed gets taken away. But the fourth ground where the seed could go was on good soil. Good soil. And that's where your seed probably was just by the fact that you being here, God has drawn you to, is drawing or drawn you to himself. And it says this about the good ground. And this in Mark 4.20. He said, those that were sown on good ground or good soil are the ones who hear the word. You have to hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So that's what the good ground is. It's, you hear the word, you do the word. Kind of like James said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You don't want to deceive yourself. That's what good ground is. You know, um, and we just finished in the discipleship class talking about how Christ is the, the vine and, and God is the vine dresser. And as Christians, we are, we are the uh, branches and we are supposed to bear fruit. We are supposed to bear fruit. It says in, in God's word that you shall know them, Christians, by their fruit. There should be no secret agents. But it says there that uh, branches that don't bear fruit get cut away. And they get thrown into the fire and burned. You know, take that for what you think it means. It says the, the, the branches that do bear fruit get, get pruned by God. There's a pruning process there so that they can continue to build or bear more fruit. So that's what we're talking about there. In John 14, 26, it talks about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you hear him called the comforter, the helper. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's been around since ever. He, he is God. He's one of the three persons of God. And you can see instances in the Old Testament, like with Isaiah and with David and all through it, and Abraham and Moses, he was there. He, he did a work. But the, the full ministry of the Holy Spirit did not come out until after Christ died. That's why he kept telling us this. After he dies, the Holy Spirit came into full fruition for everybody, for everyone that's saved. And um, if you remember a few uh, months ago, Kevin did a message talking about the Holy Spirit, where how it had an effect on Peter and all the other people that were saved. If you remember Peter, he was an outspoken apostle, and he was always telling Jesus he was going to defend him no matter what. Jesus, they're not going to take you away. I'll kill them all. You know, and finally, Jesus had to just set him straight. This is God's plan. Um, you're not going to save me. As a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times before the roaster crows. Peter's like, no, I'm going I'm to defend you. And Jesus gets arrested. He gets taken before the Sanhedrin. And Peter is over in the corner warming himself. It says he's warming himself over the fire with everybody else. He's blended in with the world. Strong Peter, okay? And that's the way he was. After Jesus was crucified, all the apostles kind of scattered for a while, but they came back because why? The Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them power. The power of the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, we have that power. And it says the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's who raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit. We have that power within us. So the, um, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and then we have that power. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Okay, so we get the Holy Spirit. You know, there's some people that obviously we see in our walk that are you say, man, that guy's got a lot of Holy Spirit going on in him. Or other people you couldn't tell if they had it at all. We have have power within us to deny the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, it's not up there, but it says this. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By him you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if the Bible tells us do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we live, then obviously you can do that. Otherwise it wouldn't tell us not to. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit with our lifestyles or conforming to the world. We don't want to do that. We want the full power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench Him. Quench means throw a wet rag on Him, put the fire out. We have, the Holy Spirit is just like God. He is not going to force himself on you. He's a gentleman. He does what you will allow him to do in your life. So, the same thing in there. If the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit, then obviously we can quench the Spirit. Otherwise, it wouldn't tell us not to. So, that being said, in all the months we've been talking about, you know, you need to get in the Word, uh, you need to pray, you need a prayer life going on. I'm sure some of you have done that. Sure, some of you have, but I know, uh, statistically speaking, most of you probably haven't, <laughs> just because of the world's going on and we got things to do. And uh, I mean, who wants to get up 15 minutes earlier to in the morning to uh, pray when I can sleep and feel a whole lot better? Maybe, but those people in here that do pray can probably testify to the fact that by giving up that extra time in the day, it, it just adds time. It adds time, supernaturally. So, what I've done, I've got some questions up here. I'm going to ask you to intentionally, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions or anything. I don't, I've never done that, but this can be an end of a year challenge to you. So, how can I become a living sacrifice? And there's some questions up there. It says, the first one is, how, by the way, these are from a friend of mine named David Platt. I was reading information from him and got these questions, kind of revised them and changed them up for us. Uh, David Platt is a good friend of mine. He just doesn't know me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those kind of things. But uh, first one is, how will I fill my mind with truth? And this is questions you can ask yourself. How will I read God's Word? How will I memorize God's Word? How will I learn God's Word from others? How, how will you put yourself in a position to do that if you're not doing it already? How can I intentionally do that? Because you need to. I mean, we're here to tell you, we're equipping you, and we're also telling you that's what you need to do. Next question is, how will I fuel my affections for God? How will I worship? How will I pray? How will I fast? Have you ever fasted at all? We haven't really taught much on it, but there's some really good things that come out of a fast. It's not just to lose weight. It's to get closer to God basically speaking. How will I give? How will I give? All this is to, to be a sacrifice to God. Next one, how will, I show, uh, how will I share God's love as a witness to the world? You know, we all look at God's commission and we all, yeah, man, I really like to share the gospel, people. <laughs> but, man, I can tell you if, personally, it took me forever to share the gospel the first time with somebody after I was saved. Embarrassingly, Forever. It's ridiculous. But just through God, just the power of God, one day I was, <laughs> was drawn closer to do that, and now I do it uh, quite often because <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It is fun. But you have to intentionally plan on it. I mean, God will put somebody in front of you. How many, well, how, let me ask you this, a few people that are Christians in here. How many people have ever come up to you as a Christian and said, What must I do to get saved? Anybody ever had anybody say that to you? Really? I've never had anybody come ask me that out of the blue. In the and, 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 school, the children. Well, you know, it, it's probably never going to happen to most of you. You have to intentionally go out and make a plan to do that. So how will I share uh, God's love as a witness in the world? Who, when, where, how am I going to do that? And the next one is how will I show God's love as part of the Restoration Church? How will I show that, where and when? It should be all the time, but it should be just a plan for you. How can I do this? How can I intentionally go out and make a change and no longer be conformed to this world, but give my, make myself a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, my whole body, my whole being. Because like with Paul, Paul would rather die than continue to live on this earth when he was, when he was writing his books. He was, he had, there, was, there was a vision that Paul got in Corinthians where he saw heaven. God showed him heaven. I believe it anyway. And he was just so enthralled with that that he understood that his whole time here net, meant nothing to him personally other than serving God. He just wanted to die now. I want to die now and go to heaven and be with the Lord. That's what his... his. And the same thing that happened to the apostles. After the Holy Spirit came over on them, the, the apostles who scattered when Christ was crucified came back, the power of the Holy Spirit, they preached the word, they preached the gospel until they all died. They all died except for John. They all died horrible deaths. They got crucified. Some of them, when they were getting crucified, even got crucified upside down because they felt they were not worthy. They got crucified in the same way Jesus was. Please crucify me upside down. Or burn me at mistake, cut off my head, whatever. I am not worthy to die. I am crucified like Christ. That's what happened to them when the Holy Spirit came on them. And they recognized who God was, how big He is, just like Isaiah, just like Job, just like Paul. The things that happened to them is no different than what, can, what happened to us when we got saved. The same Holy Spirit, the same salvation came to us, just came to them in a different way. But we should not act any different than them. So what I'm going to do after, if you look over there is an empty table with no chairs. I have these questions that you saw up there. I have some sheets over there that have those same questions on it. And if uh, God's spoken to you and you actually would like to intentionally partner up with somebody that'll account be accountable with you, then you come on over there, I'll give you the, I don't want to hand out a sheet to everybody because we know that some will be on the floor, trash cans and wrapping fish with them throughout the week. We don't want to do that. So if you intentionally want to change a little bit, come on over there with me, and I'll match up with somebody. And we're starting a process here, which you'll hear about more, where we're going to be intentionally discipling people earlier next year. But this will just help us get a head start that way so you can, if you're not getting in the Word every day, it'll help you do that. If you're not praying every day, it'll help you do that. Uh, If you're not sharing the Word every day, then it'll help you do that. It's designed to help you and get closer to God and be a living sacrifice. So if you want to do that, just after the message, just come over there. I have some sheets. uh, We'll we'll talk about what's going on over there. It won't take long. But worship team, you can come on up now if you want. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to close out with a prayer before Jordan closes it out. And uh, I'm just going to pray that the words that were spoken today, the message through Paul, would uh, just resonate by the power of the Holy Spirit because He is real, and He desires for us to get closer to Him. So let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we praise You, Father. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, our lives would just wouldn't exist without it, Lord. We thank You for Your plan of salvation. Lord, we thank You for how big You are and how awesome You are. We love You. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will reveal Himself to those today that I've heard about him, but know in their hearts that they've quenched him, they've shut him down. But Lord, your word tells us that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit to serve you, God, and get closer to you. So Father, I pray that we all become a living sacrifice, more than we were yesterday, that today we'd be a living sacrifice and live for you, Lord, and tomorrow we'd even be gator- greater in gain than we have today. So, Lord, I pray, please, Father, by the power of your word, your Holy Spirit, hover over this house, Father, and those that desire you, desire not to quench you, or put out the flame, Father, trust you, Father, by your, by faith, that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon them, Lord, and give them power to do your will. So, Lord, I praise you, I thank you, and I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. If you would like to connect with Restoration Church, you can do so by visiting our Facebook page, Restoration Camden, or also our church website, www.restorationcamden.com. There you will find all of our contact information, including current ministries, sermons and teachings, serving opportunities, upcoming events and outreaches. If you would like to get in touch with our pastors concerning a prayer request or a special need you'd like us to attend to, please feel free to do so. Also, Please feel free to share this sermon. We just ask that you do not alter the content in any way. God bless you and thank you for listening.